Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. Kent Solberg and Doug Voss, both farmers and members of SFA Soil Health Team, are back today to share strategies that you can use to renovate a poorly performing pasture. Seeing improved results may be as low cost as changing a few aspects of your pasture management, and they have some examples from their own operations to get your wheels turning. Hey Doug, hey Kent, good morning. Hi Katie. Good morning. So we're going to dig into your renovation ideas for pastures today, and you two have been in the game for quite a while. So I'm curious what you look to first to change when a pasture isn't quite up to par. Well, the first thing I like to look at when I'm trying to identify a pasture that I don't think is performing like it should, is I like to look at the history and take into consideration how the history has affected what I am seeing currently. Everything from uh, you know, the impacts that the weather may have had, and then certainly the management. Because the idea is once we get things renovated and we get them percolating again, we want to make sure that we can maintain high productivity on those pastures. And so some of the things I'll look at is the duration, how many cattle, what class of cattle, and rainfall events. And, you know, to what degree the management was, um, was really of the focus, or if it's just a set stock situation from the past where People have turned cattle out on that piece of ground in the spring and picked them up in the fall. So when we look at all those types of things, we can certainly evaluate where we're at and how we got to where we're, we are currently and make a good plan in the future. Certainly grazing is something that needs to be looked at as a really long-term thing, not only in the past, but also in the future, because we're always looking at the impacts that our current management has on the short-term and long-term. Yeah, Katie, I couldn't agree with Doug Moore. Um, we, we need to answer the question, how did we get to where we're at today? And what can we do to prevent that uh, from happening in the future? And not only that is, is that important for uh, animal performance and pasture productivity, but also the bottom line of the farm. Um, it costs money uh, to get pastures renovated. And if, if it's a management uh, uh, issue there. Uh, we want to prevent those things from happening again just to help the financial uh, aspect on that farm. We also need to think about things like soil type and slope and aspect uh, as part of that. Um, those, can, those can be major players too. So we want to look at the entire context of what's going on on that particular pasture and formulate a custom uh, plan to move forward. Yeah, how do you balance then all of that, especially considering like the finances, obviously you wouldn't be able to change maybe as much as the, the land qualities or the environmental factors going in. How do you approach that? So oftentimes with poorly performing pasture, just simply changing the management can go a long way. And that's actually the cheapest way for most people is just changing the management. When are we grazing it? At what stock density are we grazing it? How long are those animals out there? Uh, what class of animal are we using out there? Uh, we can alter a lot of those things on the farm and, and on the ranch and, and see uh, changes pretty quickly. If the weather cooperates, we can easily see changes uh, within a year, uh, for sure within a couple of years. Um, I often encourage people, so let's start with changing the management. It doesn't cost you a lot, maybe a little bit of time thinking things through, spending some more time observing what's going on, shifting some animals around. Uh, and taking advantage of what we can do with portable energized fencing, um, it's a lot cheaper on a per acre basis than going out and doing full-blown renovation. 
For sure. The first thing we got to look at is always what we refer to as the low hanging fruit. You know, what can we do with the resources that we have and be real conservative with those resources? I mean, there are times maybe that if we, if we can throw more at it, we'll get, you know, better temporary results, but uh, polywire. But the big thing too is even the management, I mean, increasing your understanding of how ecosystems work in a very broad spectrum and broad perspective is really crucial. Uh, and I think every grazer, even the most successful grazers will say that the observation uh, never stops and the learning never stops. And the more you can add to your toolbox and your own mindset of how things work and how you should react to changing conditions can really speak volumes as far as your success. Could you fill in some of those uh, management changes? Like what are some common ones that you would look for as the low hanging fruit? Well, uh, just spending a little bit more time wor working, seeing how you can configure things differently and identifying different areas, even within a, a paddock or a field that you need to maybe allow more rest because of the species or the slope like Kent had referred to before. Um, and when you want to, you know, when you want to hit those areas, you may need a high and dry place for those cattle when it's really wet, but how long are you going to leave them there before you're going to negatively affect that area for future productivity or when you can think you can return back to those places when they're re recovered enough not to do damage. And, you know, um, there is always another way you can configure those fences or move those cattle that uh, may be better for the situation today than it was last time you were there. So always being aware that there's not just one recipe that you're going to figure out at some point that's going to be the silver bullet for the future, but that our conditions change and, you know, little in little ways and in some ways, uh, you know, very significant ways that we need to account for when we're, you know, being adaptable and being adaptable is critical. I would say, Katie, also uh, prioritizing areas you want to work on, even within a paddock. That's a good way to build a grazing plan going into the grazing season is identify some trouble areas. You're not going to fix everything at one shot. I think oftentimes we want to swoop in and do it all at once. Um, but, you know, like Doug said, going after the low-hanging fruit, things that don't cost a lot of money, just a matter of tweaking some management around identifying those areas for priority. Let's say it's getting a little brushy, more brushy out there than you want. You think, oh, I gotta go in and you know, spend some money mowing this. Well, what can we do by just placing a mineral feeder uh, in a small brush, brush patch or uh, even the water tank or a small bale of, uh, uh, of good quality hay, something different, something of interest to the animal, something that's gonna draw most of the herd there to increase some traffic on that site and then get them off of there and let that rest for a long period of time. Maybe it's letting a site that's not performing really well uh, uh, to allow to, to skip that first grazing in the spring, allow a lot of biomass or as much biomass as we can get on that site uh, to grow up and then come in late June, very early July, first week, 10 days of July, when we're going to have our maximum amount of biomass that uh, plants may just start getting to be less palatable but we're going to go in there with a paddock within a paddock if you will we can subdivide that smaller put a lot uh, those animals on a very tight space very high number of pounds of animals per acre 
get a lot of trample on that site. Uh, and it, they only have to be in there sometimes 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, maybe three or four hours at the very most, and then move them on to something else. Uh, you don't even need to have water in that site or mineral in that site if they're only going to be there for a couple hours or less, as long as they went in from a site that had water and going to a site that, that has water. We can do those things and just hold them there for a short period of time, even while we're doing something different, uh, setting up another paddock or the next couple of days paddock. And, and we're just going to spend a little extra time out there. It can go a very, very long way uh, to helping these sites. And then monitor them. Another thing we can do, like Doug said, if we need a high and dry place, uh, if it's really wet, like we've seen in a lot of places the last few years, going to the growing season uh, with a plan that, okay, if I get into this situation, I have this spot over here, I can define it with polywire, and then I could feed supplemental feed out there because I want the extra fertility out there. And we can be very systematic in that feeding so that we evenly cover uh, that area with feed and feces uh, in order to get more nutrients out on that site and then giving that site plenty of rest to allow for full recovery. So there's lots of little tricks and things that people can do out there. The biggest tool is that polywire. It's just being creative in how to configure. And it's also sitting down up front and identifying those problem areas, prioritizing those problem areas and say, if we're in a drought, we're going to do this. If we're too wet, we're going to do that. Uh, that's a great way to do a grazing plan. I think so many people think about a grazing plan as, well, we're going to be here for this day and we're going to be there for so many days and we're going to move on this schedule. You can really paint yourself in a corner with that, but identifying areas you want to work on uh, on a broader context and adjusting that management gives you a lot more flexibility or the ability to be, as we like to say, adaptive um, to the conditions and situations that are there. Well, I think that's great, Kent, that, uh, you know, one thing that is always important is to try to understand a little bit of the context to which you're hearing information and how that maybe fits to your mindset. And so when we talk high stock density, you know, that might mean some very different things to different people. Um, you know, in some situations uh, in arid regions, you're looking at high stock densities compared to what you're, you're grazing normally. And if you're talking 100,000 pounds of beef or, or any animal, you know, I'm talking beef because that's my perspective mainly, um, that that might be high from the norm of that piece of property in the past, but not to limit our mindset when it comes to that, because when we're talking that short duration, like you referenced, you know, we can be up to that 500,000 or even a million pounds per acre for a very short period of time. And so it's just, uh, I guess, a word that don't limit our, uh, our mindset and our understanding of what maybe some of our parameters might be. Do either of you have a, a pasture makeover story, so to speak, of one that was giving you a lot of problems and needed a lot of renovation and what you did to make it work very well today? Well, I certainly do. Uh, the farm we bought was pretty well wore out uh, when we got it. And and your question, Katie, is going to open up into kind of the next step. Um, but we knew coming into it, it was not performing well, very poor forage production. It, uh, it had been farmed in row crops for a number of years. In fact, it had just sat idle for six years before we, we picked the place up. And there were still corn stalks lying on the ground that had not decomposed. Uh, over six years, the biological activity was that low, soil organic matters were low, pH was low, 
we knew we had our work cut out for us. And so uh, we began a, down a path of using bale grazing and systematic feeding and managed grazing to try and get that to recover. And again, we used those as Doug said, the low hanging fruit. Um, we were we had some bedding pack manure that we were able to get a hold of and spread that out there. So we used all those the those those more inexpensive tools right up front. Now uh, the next step step or next phase, if you will, of this is if you're doing all of that stuff, and and you may reach a point where things kind of plateau and you know that can be better, and that's where. Um, we began to work on increasing plant diversity. And so we used, um, basically we stressed the pasture, the, the paddock that was there with grazing, terminated that paddock, uh, not, the, not everything, but just like 10% of the entire grazing acreage that was tillable. And then we put in a complex cover crop blend uh, allow that to grow full season to stimulate biological activity. In fact, the nickname for, for those sort of cover crop blends are called biological primers. The whole purpose of that was to stimulate soil biology. We came back with a very diverse perennial pasture blend after that. Um, those sites have um, consistently outperformed other areas of the pasture or the that, that we have not done that. And so there is a time and a place for full-blown you know, uh, termination, renovation, but so many places that Doug and I see, first and foremost, we've got to get the management. A lot of people want to jump, you know, to termination, renovation. It's expensive. It's a little risky, you know. Uh, Doug and I are both dealing with a lot of drought right now, and and it's a little scary uh, to try and plant seeds right now um, without irrigation because you're going to spend some money but you got to look at it as a long-term investment. It's got a way to be a way to stimulate the biology. Um, the biological organisms are subaquatic organisms. It can't be too dry. Both of us are on very sandy sites. So, you know, like so many other things, timing, management, how we do these things is often more critical than what we're doing. So we want to be very careful with that and cautious with that, but go in knowing that that's after we've used all the low-hanging fruit uh, that Doug alluded to before. But we are now seeing um, tremendous productivity uh, on those sites that we fully renovated, but they were coupled with or partnered with all of those other management tools we've been talking about to make that happen. And then we can fine tune that by managing the livestock with, within that individual paddock. I would say for me, part of it has been identifying what's created, you know, the condition that it was like we talked about at the beginning, as far as the history, though, some of the areas that I'm thinking about on our farm, had just been, you know, from a carbon cycling perspective, just abused, uh, hay too long, uh, because of the certain situation with that particular, you know, particular piece of property. And just not enough carbon returning to the system to promote, you know, the kind of growth that we'd like to see. And some of those areas were put into perennials just because they didn't grow anything else in the past. They were just too light. There was no, uh, there wasn't enough water access if the conditions that were created uh, couldn't support kind of uh, the production for that annual season. And so put in perennial systems and then hay because the idea was, well, at least we're getting something off those pieces. Where when you turn from that to then getting livestock back on those parts, 
um, you know, if you're if you're looking at a starting point of being carbon negative to begin with, we have to get carbon out there, and then you have to allow some time for the biology to start processing that carbon for future production. And you know, so one of the first things I've always noticed is, uh, you know, urine patches. You get cattle on there the first year, and you look back uh, after some recovery time has been applied to that piece, and you'll see these nice dark green circles out there. And well, that's urine patches more than it is cow pie spots because the cow pies actually had to oxidize the first year because there wasn't enough biology there to process those adequately to even turn them into fertilizer for immediate purposes. So. Um, it's, it's amazing what you'll find when you observe. And once you observe those things, you can build upon those benefits and uh, expand upon them. So uh, cycling carbon is a big thing. You know, there's just not enough there. And then sometimes if the carbon's there, there's not enough foliage there to protect that ground cover, uh, you know, that armor that's required. And what's lost a lot of times in some of those, you know, set stock grazing situations. So in those cases, it's, it's a prairie grass situation where we were starting to cycle more carbon and then we saw good benefits. Other areas of the farm has been, uh, you know, and again, looking at not having livestock integrated on some of these pieces for a very long time. And if it uh, did produce something in some situations, it produced something so well that it was in nothing but willows or uh, some woody species. And then there isn't any grass for the cattle to graze because the willows have taken over. And in some situations there, we have come in with forestry units. Uh, and so in a couple of different approaches, one, we can take the whole works down with the, with the forestry unit and then allow grass to come back and then we can graze it. The other way is depending on the height of some of those willowed areas, we can just do fence lines and let the cattle go in and renovate more. And so that's, that's you know, really looking at the low hanging fruit and getting back to the polywire and animal density. And, um, and one thing I guess I'd like to point out is the difference between um, if you're going to take some mechanical means like that uh, just to get cattle on there in order to build fences that that uh, carbon is going to cycle very quickly in relation to something that's just laid over by cattle. And so depending on the sensitivity of your resource, that's got to be something that would be uh, certainly considered when you're looking at what practice would be the best in renovation in that situation. Katie, I'd like to add just animal diversity also. For a number of years, we not only ran cattle, but we also ran layers on pasture and hogs on pasture. And we used the hogs as a pasture renovation tool. Um, we wanted to build diversity out there. And so we would let the hogs love quackgrass roots. And we were heavily dominated by quackgrass to the point of being a monoculture in some sites. And so we used hogs to go after those quackgrass roots because they absolutely love them. We also used uh, portable uh, layer uh, housing um, that we park on uh, sites that had very low fertility to bump the fertility and we'd leave the layers there for a couple days and then move it on. And, and you could literally draw outlines around uh, where those chickens were. I know some people who are using um, uh, other sort of pasture poultry productions uh, and I've been on those sites where you can see racing stripes literally across the pasture from the increased fertility. So increasing animal diversity uh, can be another renovation tool. And if you've got, uh, if you're doing that on your farm already, uh, or somebody can come in and, and who's doing one of those other species to follow behind sheep, hogs, goats, whatever is gonna work, just fitting it to the context of the field and even partnering with somebody to make that happen can go a long way um, 
to help move those pastures forward. So then have you ever had to just give up on a pasture for it just not working out? And did you use it for something else entirely? Or are you able to truly renovate any piece of land? Um, we have, I have personally yet to see a pasture we can't renovate, even an old gravel pit. Um, we've seen examples of people using things like bale grazing, systematic outwintering, diverse species, very long rest and recovery periods, high stock density grazing, literally turn stuff that's a bare, it's a, it's an abandoned, it was an abandoned gravel pit, turn it right around. You have to have a long-term vision. Uh, you have to understand carbon cycling and how to apply animals. You have to understand um, the value of long rest and recovery periods. You have to be willing to start small, but you can make it grow and it can be, there's many, many, many examples out there, not only across Minnesota, but across the country and across the world. Um, we can, almost always make it more productive uh, than what it is um, with the right tools, with the right vision, with the right management mindset, we can, we can move this stuff forward. Doug and I have each done it on our own farms. We've worked with other farms that have made this happen. Uh, it, just the power of integrating livestock and resting the principles of rest and recovery out there on the landscape are, are just absolutely amazing. I thoroughly agree with Ken's remarks there. And I just think on my own farm, especially the reference to the gravel pit, you know, um, even the permaculture perspective that the problem is the solution. So if you've got a gravel pit and if it's not underwater, what a great place to put cattle when it's wet. I mean, cause your gravel is gonna, you know, weep away moisture if you've got a heavy rainfall event or something like that, or you just need to put cattle or, or livestock someplace that they're gonna be dry for a while until the uh, rest of the pasture is ready and fit to be grazed again. And when you can cycle carbon on top of those gravel pits, it's amazing what happens. And right next to my gravel pit, I've got a cattail slough. And normally people would look at, from an agricultural perspective uh, from past, they would look at that and say, oh, that's just wasteland or it's just not productive because I can't take a plow to it and plant corn or beans. And you know, it's what we've done with it the last while is so cool because it used to be just cattails, but now we have about four different flushes of different species that come out and just because our management changed. For example, there was one year we had a situation where we didn't have the normal bedding supplies that we normally did, and we had started bale grazing that year. And I wasn't sure if I was gonna have to bring in some bedding or not. And um, so next to this cattail slough, we were bale grazing, uh, no internal fences because we were unrolling bales daily. And one morning I come out to find the cattle had actually rolled down cattails in this cattail slough that they normally couldn't go into that area, of course, during the growing season, but this is in the middle of winter. So everything is froze up solid. And they've rolled these cattails down and made their own bed of reeds. And the result of that was, was extremely happy cattle because it was sheltered from the right direction for the wind at that time. They were dry, they were clean. They had nice fuzzy coats on them from having outside exposure to the elements. And so they adapted. And the next spring, we had this beautiful flush of yellow flowers in that cattail slough before the cattails re recovered enough to shade them out. And so increasing diversity, and that didn't cost me a dime. I love that image of uh, cozy cows and the cattails. And I think that's a good spot to wrap up for today with the idea that anything is possible with a good management plan and maybe some dumb luck too. Thanks, guys. 
Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources and to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.